give up all your possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. The news this past week has been filled with Syria and reflections upon the remarks of our president just uh, a little over a week ago uh, saying that it was his view that we needed to move forward and to um, have punitive strikes against Syria because of the chemical weapons, that the evidence was clear to them, the intelligence was uh, definitely revealing that these chemical weapons had been used on the people by the president of Syria. And yet he also said at the same time that he wanted to have Congress weigh in on that, that it, if we were going to strike another nation, then it, it shouldn't be something that was a unilateral decision that others should participate. So in this past week, Congress has been busy doing a lot of things, but uh, primarily uh, weighing in on this topic and trying to come to an understanding about uh, the different options that are there. Should we do this? Should we launch missiles into Syria? Uh, should we have boots on the ground? Should we not have boots on the ground? Uh, if we do this, what's the next step? Are they going to uh, have more chemical weapons that they're going to use? And then what are we going to do? A lot of going back and forth. And so people have been, even this morning, I heard on the news, people have been wondering if the president made the right decision. Should he just have launched these missiles on his own? or should it have been something that we were discussing in, in a uh, much larger sense? Well, however you feel about that, and, and I think polls have shown that Americans, every American has a different opinion on this and what we ought to do. But how do you feel about it? One thing that you can say is that we're counting the cost. We're trying to figure out what this is going to mean for us, for our world, for the people of Syria and the people in the Middle East. What Jesus is talking about here in this passage, and, and the way that Luke reports it for us, and the way that he records it for us, uh, or for his readers to hear, and, and that we get to hear in our own ears today, is about counting the cost. That Jesus was a leader who counted the cost, and he called others, anybody who would come after him, to count the cost. He has this huge crowd of people that is uh, following him. And as one writer that I read this past week was mentioning, that Jesus just didn't like large crowds. It seems like he was always trying to, to get rid of the large crowd. As soon as he would walk into a city, he would look over his shoulder, and there would be this huge throng of people that was following him. And they, they loved him. They loved to hear him speak. They loved the things that he was doing, uh, healing and casting out demons and making fun of the Pharisees with uh, their logic and the kinds of things that they would come up with against him, Jesus could always baffle them with his words. And so they thought, this guy is the Messiah. He's the one that we've been looking for all along. He's the one that my parents talked about and my grandparents and, and everybody else since Abraham. We've all been looking for this guy to come in. And he's going to reclaim our property that uh, that Rome has taken over. He's going to be able to help us live free lives and to be able to get back to the things that God wants us to do. And so Jesus is seeing all of these people and he does numerous things. And, you know, we see like in Mark's Gospel, Mark tells us over and over that Jesus sees the crowds and he goes and finds a solitary place. It's like he just can't get away from them. 
and even his disciples sometimes. He just can't seem to get away from them. He, he tries his best, and yet they always find him. And then sometimes, like in this passage, he does his best to thin out the crowd. And if you don't believe me, look again at the text. Uh, as we've got it printed here in the bulletin or in your Bible, look at Luke chapter 14. In this last part of it, in verses 25 through 33, Jesus has some really awkward things, some difficult things that he says, some things that we really need to think about a lot and we need to, to weigh in our own lives and, and consider how we can apply them. But just as he sees the crowds that are coming behind him, he turns to them and he says, if you don't hate your mother, your father, your children, your brothers and your sisters, then you really can't be my disciple. I mean, just think about the, the weight of that. All of a sudden, you're following along, and you think, you know, I really like this guy, and then he's telling me to hate my family? What is he talking about? Well, before he could really get any further, before they could ask any questions, he says, now, how many of you, if you're going to build, he talks about a tower, and in their vineyards, they would build towers so that they could look out and, and see all of the, the crops and the, the vines and everything else that was out there to make sure uh, that there weren't animals coming in and ruining their crops or there weren't thieves coming in and stealing from them or uh, doing things to destroy what they had worked so hard to provide. Mm -hmm. And so he says, how many of you would build a nice big tower? And, and maybe today in our vernacular that would be a deer stand, right? Right here in the south. How many of you would build a nice big huge deer stand or a house or some building? without sitting down and counting the cost of what it was going to take to do that. Uh, how many of you would, would want to build a house and you, you wouldn't make a budget for that and try to come to some understanding about what it's going to cost you to do this? And then he says, how many kings would decide to go to war? And I think this is an interesting reading for this particular week, just like the Jeremiah reading. Those who laid out the lectionary readings uh, for each, each week had no idea any of this current stuff was going on when they did so. But again, God's word is always applicable to our lives. But he says, how many kings would launch a war against another king? I mean, if you had 10,000 soldiers and you knew or found out that the other king uh, that you were going up against had 20,000 soldiers, how many kings would do that without saying, well, there's no way I can win this war. There's no way that I can accomplish the mission that we need to accomplish with this battle. So we'll just send uh, a delegate over to find out what the, the terms of peace are going to be. And so Jesus says, so really, if you don't count the cost in following me and being my disciple, then you can't be my disciple. You must weigh what it means for you to be able to follow me in this way. And these people, again, they had false views about what Jesus was doing in the world. And this was his way to thin down the crowd, to say, all of you may be followers, but how many of you are truly disciples? If you really want to be my disciple, you'll pick up a cross. Now this is Jesus saying this on his way to the cross. He knows that he is on the road to Jerusalem and that he has counted the cost. And he will count it as he gets more, and even as we look at in Easter time, as he gets up to the night before, he's counting the cost. He is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane about the cup passing from him. And then he says, you know, no, I, I need to do your will, Father. I, I will do your will, and I will continue on to the cross. 
But all along, he is weighing it out. And he calls his disciples to do the same thing. But then he makes that comment that really drives us crazy, especially here in the United States of America, where we are individual uh, in, in every particular way. We, we are the true rugged individualists. We decide that we want to make something and we want to keep it for ourselves. We want to sustain ourselves and, and we want to live the American dream. And sometimes in our religious circles, we blend that together pretty well, the American dream and the kingdom of God. It really becomes the same thing. God's desire for this world really becomes my desire for this world, or my desire becomes God's desire. We go back and forth on that. But Jesus looks at his disciples who are thinking the same thing. They're thinking about having their nation take over. They're thinking about having their religion become the dominant religion, about having their own lives prosper. And he says, if you aren't willing to give up all of your possessions and follow me, you're not worthy to be my disciple. And you know, you just know that had to stop some of them in their tracks. There was a neat graphic um, here that, that shows somebody collecting all of their worldly goods and all their belongings. And you see in the eyes of that particular person, and, and I think this was uh, sketched out to depict a rich young ruler. And, and this is in another gospel where Jesus has a conversation. The guy says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, go sell all of your possessions and then come follow me. Much like in the gospel we're hearing today. And you see this guy is looking not really sure. I like what I'm holding. I like what's within my grasp and yet the kingdom is over my shoulder. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And we know that he does not give up all of his possessions. He clings to them. I don't know if, uh, if you are familiar with Malaysia, but Malaysia has gone through uh, a lot of turmoil, religious turmoil. Even today, there are uh, clashes between Christians and Muslims, and, um, and, and there's just a, a lot that's going on in that country. But a few years ago, uh, Jim Dennison, who... Uh, was the pastor of Park City's Baptist Church in Dallas when I uh, served there as associate pastor. He told the story about going over to Malaysia, East Malaysia, as a summer missionary when he was in college. And while he was there throughout that whole summer, he saw God work in a lot of different ways, but he particularly saw it in the life of this, uh, this young middle school age girl. She had come to a vacation Bible school and had been real responsive to the missionaries there and uh, by the end of the summer, she had decided she wanted to profess her faith in Jesus Christ. And she was, uh, had grown up uh, in a Muslim household and um, just yet really had never practiced that faith. But that was her family uh, religion. And as she became a Christian or decided that she wanted to do this, then the next step for her was to get baptized. And so uh, Jim talks about when she came in and was baptized that day, everybody in the church was celebrating and very exciting. And then Jim noticed something. As After the pastor baptized her, he noticed that there was a suitcase that was off to the side by the baptistry. And when they were getting ready to leave for the service, uh, Jim asked, you know, whose suitcase is that? What, what that? What's that about? And he said, well, that belongs uh, to, to the girl who, who had been baptized. He said she fully realized that when she was baptized that she would not be able to go home again. She had counted the cost. She was no longer welcome in her home 
as a follower of Jesus Christ. And she was willing to give up her family, willing to give up her security, willing to give up everything to follow after Jesus. That kind of cost and that kind of counting the cost thins the crowd down, doesn't it? Not all of us would be willing to make that kind of decision. And as we look at our world today, we see that we have a world of people, or if we just look in our nation, we have a nation of people who would claim to be Christian. If you poll the people in the United States, as has been done in, in, in various ways, whether it's a census or just a, a Gallup poll, most people in the United States, even though we're a very secular nation, will still say that we are a Christian nation, or they will profess to be Christian, that that would be their religion. But we know that that's not the case. We know that not everyone, if you really get to this line that Jesus draws, would be willing to cross that line and actually become a true follower of Jesus Christ. We have a large crowd of followers, but a not-so-large crowd of true disciples. There's a, a book that's out that uh, I read recently, and it's kind of crea it has created a buzz uh, among youth ministers and in youth ministry. And I, I may have mentioned it before, uh, but it's called Almost Christian. And it's written uh, uh, by Casey uh, Kenda Creasy Bean. Hopefully I got that right. I doubt she's listening anyway. Uh, but she wrote a book based on a sociological study of 3,000 youth and trying to understand where they were and their faith. They talked about being Christian. They talked about what it meant to go to church and and be involved in the Christian life. And as a result of her study, she said, we have a brand new religion that has been created, uh, and especially in our youth culture. And it's called Christian Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. Now, why they couldn't come up with a better word, I don't, or better, better name, I don't know. But uh, the fact that it's Christian, that these youth were all professing to be Christian. You said, are you a Christian? Or one of these other religions, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Moralistic in the sense that they believed that practicing the Christian faith was being a good moral person. That you abided by the, the, the mores and morals of our society and you treated other people in the same way. Uh, theistic uh, or therapeutic would be the sense that if you do live that kind of life, if you live with good morals and treat other people in the right way or uh, do the golden rule, then it's, it's therapeutic for you. You will feel better about yourself and, and in some circles you'll even become a better person. You'll become a more prosperous person because of that. And then the deism part of that name is much like as we think about in philosophical circles that deism is this idea that God has created the world. There is a God. Um, some people would refer to this as the Jeffersonian view of Christianity. Uh, Jefferson was very much a deist. There is a God. He has created everything, but then walked away from it. Is allowing the world to just work itself out by itself. The uh, analogy of a watchmaker is always used when you talk about theism. That uh, the watchmaker creates the watch and puts all the components together, winds it up and sets it, but then lays it aside and moves on to something else. And so the feeling among youth and the belief among youth is that, that God is somebody that I could access when I need to access God. 
God is someone who really just wants me to feel good about myself and feel good about other people. And what is missing from that particular view is the cross. The cross of Christ is totally missed with that kind of a view. And, and I think in our world today, whether we call it uh, by that big name or not, we have a, a, a world of Christians that are missing the cross. The idea of service and the idea of sacrifice and the idea of suffering. That being a Christian means that you're picking up a cross somewhere. And for youth at school, it means that you, you have a cross to bear at school. And it may manifest itself in relationships or in the way that you make decisions uh, about the things that you do at school or the way that you treat other people or your willingness to stand up for other people. There's a cross involved somewhere. And what we see is that the cross continues to thin out the crowd. It's like Jesus looks at us and says, that's great that all these people name my name and follow after me. But only those who pick up their cross and follow me can be my disciples. So where does that leave you? Where does it leave us as a church? And how is it that we can live the kind of lives that are completely reordered? And Jesus talks about hating your father and mother. I hope that you won't start doing that right now in the service. Uh, or that you'll go home and say, I hate you. Well, I hate you too. And aren't we a hateful family? We're a Christian family. That's not what Jesus intended. And within the Eastern understanding of, of this, it's not necessarily a literal kind of thing that, that Jesus is inciting hate in families. He's trying to make a point of contrast. He's trying to, he's trying to help them understand that everything is different in the kingdom of God. Every system, every family, every sense of order is turned right side up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and, the, and God's understanding uh, of work in the world. The kingdom is radically different and it affects our families, it affects our relationships, it affects our worldview, it affects our government and the way that we participate in our government. It's all about the cross but it also reorders our understanding of self. Notice, you know, we always talk about the family there, and we say, yeah, he, he, what does he mean about hating and, and all of this? But he also says, unless you're willing to, to hate yourself. Again, Jesus is not saying you, you ought to have a poor self-esteem or anything like that or abuse yourself, but to let go of yourself. To be, to be willing to understand that the things that you have, just like the guy that was clinging hold of all of all of his worldly possessions. It's not that he was clinging uh, onto them in such a way, in a physical kind of way, but they were clinging onto him. He was possessed by his possessions. Now, all of us have possessions. You may have fewer than the person next to you, or you, you may have more, but you have possessions. And I talked last week about the true self and the false self. And, and we are possessed so often, most of the time, seems like, by that false sense of self. We are clinging to ourselves. We are clinging to our will or our decisions or our desire and our dreams in place of God's dreams, in place of God's will for our lives and our church and for our world. There's a, a, a trap that people in India have for monkeys. Now, I, this is one reason I, I wish I lived in India, because I want a monkey. And uh, I, 
Jenny won't let me have a monkey. <laughs> but I, I would really like to have one. And one day, I'm going to have a monkey. But uh, the way that they catch monkeys in India, I mean, they're just all over the place. In trees, they get in people's homes. They're just literally everywhere. But the way they do this is they take a jar, uh, a clear uh, see-through jar, and they put a banana inside of the jar, but they anchor the jar to the ground. And so a monkey comes along, and he's thinking, okay, I see a banana, and uh, I'm going to get this banana. So the monkey will stick his hand down inside the jar, and you know what happens next, right? Somebody comes out with like a, a burlap sack or whatever to, uh, to be able to catch the monkey. And, and nine times out of ten, they have no trouble catching the monkey because the monkey is, is holding on to that banana so tightly that he can't pull his hand back out of the jar. And so while he's trying to do that and, and trying to get away, uh, at least most of these monkeys are unwilling to drop the banana. I mean, if they did, they could drop the banana and take off and save their lives. But most of them hang on to it and are captured because they value that banana so much. They value whatever it is that's in their little moment uh, so much that they're willing to give their lives for it. Now, before we're too harsh on the monkeys of India, we need to realize that we're the same way, aren't we? We cling to ourselves and our possessions and our, our lives so much. We value what's going on in our lives right now so much that we are so unwilling to drop it and let it go and to be freed from all of that and truly understand and experience the kingdom of God. So I want to ask you, what are you hanging on to today? What is it that you possess? And better yet, what is it? that possesses you. Maybe the best thing for us to do today as we go into a brand new week is to let go of our banana. To let go of ourselves. To take up our cross and to follow Jesus. God, we thank you for the way that your Son delivers to us difficult, challenging, and yet life-changing words. We thank you that we are allowed the truth and the understanding of what life is really all about. We realize as we count the costs that we have difficult decisions to make. But help us. Help us as we look to your Son on His way to the cross that we would understand what discipleship is all about. Amen. Let's have a house for each other. God, everything that we have, we have as a gift.